church family. If you will please turn with me to John chapter 8. My John chapter 8 actually start, has 753 with it. Uh, some of your Bibles might have these brackets that are around 753 to 811. Uh, and in that is that uh, there are some, uh, the earliest and most reliable manuscripts don't have these verses in the book of John. Uh, and so looking at internal um, evidence and external evidence, uh, there's debate on, on if John even wrote these verses and a lot of evidence against that. And all that means that the earliest copies of scripture didn't have that in. It came in later, uh, even throughout different uh, translations. It, some of them put these uh, 12 verses in earlier in John chapter 7, some in Luke 21. And it's like, well, Pastor Randy, what are these verses supposed to be in here? And it ultimate answer is yes. We're going to look at these verses today. Uh, they're going to share with us who Christ is. Uh, they're going to be very evident on false judgment and grace and forgiveness. And so I can, uh, we can talk more about that uh, at another time if you want and get into that and look at all the different resources that we have to kind of gauge where this is. Uh, but I want us to take a look at these verses because they do speak to who Christ is uh, they do speak to forgiveness that's mentioned in the end of chapter 7 and even beginning into the next set of verses with 8 uh, or judgment. Well, we're going to talk about forgiveness too. Um, but here's these verses uh, that, that have these brackets and don't, don't freak out. It's going to, the Holy Spirit is going to move this morning uh, with, this, with this passage and with this message. So read with me John 7, 53 uh, to 8, 11. And this is a woman caught in adultery. It says, They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women, so what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So here is this, this picture of Jesus teaching again. And uh, the religious leaders are, are trying every angle uh, to get after Jesus. Uh, to find something about him that they can arrest him, to try him. Uh, we saw last week that even the guards were like, why haven't you brought, them to, brought him to us? Uh, so they're, they're trying everything to get this Jesus guy out of the way, out of the picture. Uh, and you see in verse 3 that uh, 
it's mentioned about scribes. We've seen the Pharisees at work uh, throughout the book of John, but now it mentions the scribes and the Pharisees. So they're trying this whole different angle. The scribes were, were uh, men who wrote the law. They worked on writing out the law of God. They knew the law of God. I don't know if that's the way you learn like I do. The more I write it out, the more I'm going to remember it and memorize it. The scribes' jobs were to write out the law of God. They knew it like the back of their hand. You have the Pharisees who were very zealous with the law of God. So they were like, you know what? We're going to set Jesus up, see what he does with this scenario that we, do, that we present to him by bringing this adulterous woman, and we're going to see how he reacts and guarantee you he's going to mess up, and then we're going to be able to arrest him and get him out of the picture. So this is where we are. And then looking at the rest of verse 3 through 5, we see this, the, that the Pharisees bring this woman in, they barge in to this meeting, this teaching that Jesus is giving, uh, and they place her right in the center of the court, and they're kind of being a little snarky with Jesus, saying, teacher or rabbi, uh, a little mock politeness, you know, oh, rabbi, teacher, uh, this woman has been caught in adultery, the very act, uh, and then they were like, now in the law, Moses commanded... That, that we need to stone this woman. And what do you say? You know, and this snarkiness comes out. I could hear their tone of, hey, so, Mr. Teacher, what's your opinion on this? Because we're going to get you, because there's no way out of this scenario. Uh, now, Old Testament law, speaking about adultery, was very clear. The seventh commandment says, uh, you shall not commit adultery. Back in Leviticus 20, verse 10, it says, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress will surely be put to death. So it's pretty clear she deserves to be stoned to death because she was caught in adultery. Um, but there's something fishy going on, right? And, and let's pause for a moment. Have you ever been in a situation that you're like, yeah, something's a little sus, you know, suspect, suspicious. There's something that's not quite right. Uh, and I don't know if you guys have ever gotten these random phone calls on your cell phone, right? Now, these guys have gotten smart. Phone companies try because it'll say spam, which that's a, le a legit one, but they will have it 301 area code, 240, they'll, they'll mention or have Maryland as, a, as an address. And I used to be phenomenal with that. I'm not picking that up. Unless I have you in my number, I'm not gonna pick up the phone. Uh, until Cameron went to boot camp where who knows what phone call he's going to call or phone number. So Carrie and I are picking up every, every phone, the, every time that thing rings. But I have to tell you, I've learned in all my experience some good tells that it is of suspicious nature that a phone call comes in. First of all, if you pick up, there's a little bit of a pause. Have you realized that? Do you know why? Because it's truly a robocall from a computer that is randomly doing numbers, they find a live sucker on the phone, and they're like, hey, pick up. And so you have that hesitation, so that's my first tell. The next one is when they say, is Randall there? Well, I don't go by Randall. My doctor, my medical stuff, and my, my tax form say Randall. I don't go by Randall. So unless you're my mama and you're mad at me, I'm, not, I'm like, click, hang up. I'm not going to do that. 
So there's, there's some things in life that we kind of get dragged along. You might have bought a lot of things. Um, remember QVC? They still have QVC, right? Now Amazon, you're just randomly grabbing things. Um, but we've been suckered into some stuff, some suspicious activity. And here, the scribes and the Pharisees are setting Jesus up. And he, know, he knows, first of all, he's God. But he knows, and there's something a little suspicious. Uh, because, like I said, from a legal standpoint, they were right. This woman needs to be put to death uh, in her adultery. But here's the thing. Where's the guy? Because you can't commit adultery by yourself, right? Takes two to tango. Where's the guy? Did they know him? Did they're like, oops, we lost him on the way? I don't know. Doesn't say where he is, but the guy's not there. Um, and even Leviticus talks about the adulterer and the adulteress, both of them need to be put to death. So that's enough of a little bit of a suspect. Uh, and they, they didn't bring him to be arrested. They only brought her. And then if they're seeking justice, why are they bringing him to Jesus or bringing her to Jesus? They need to take her to the court. Jesus doesn't, ha isn't, uh, doesn't have the ruling power to put her to death. You know, they were using this as a scenario. But if you really are worried about her, committing adultery, take her to the court, and get the guy too. But they didn't. It is very much suspicious. Uh, their, their actions and their activity, and all they are wanting to do is to set Jesus up. And we see this in verse 6. It says, and they said, and this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. So there we have it. They were setting him up. Uh, they used this poor woman as bait. They weren't concerned about their behavior. Uh, they really weren't concerned about her at all. It was all about Jesus was the ultimate target. Uh, and we know that they probably knew of this woman's history and like, well, you know, this, this will be easy to catch her so we can bring her in. Uh, but they are setting Jesus up. It's not about her. And they're trying to get him wedged between a rock and a hard place. Uh, and it's kind of like, have you ever had someone come up to you and say, hey, I'll give you this quarter if you win the coin flip. And then you say, heads I win, tails you lose. Did you get that? Okay, yeah, you're going to lose either way. So their thought, we've got Jesus. There's no way he's getting out of this situation. Um, and so we're going to finally be able to do something with him, uh, take him to court, get rid of him, imprison him, kill him, get rid of this Jesus guy that is claiming to be Messiah claiming to be the Son of God, claiming to be God, uh, and this is our way. So we know this. So what does Jesus do? He could have won any argument, but he instead turned around, bent down, and with his finger wrote something on the ground. Now, we don't know what it is. We don't, it doesn't say a lot of speculation. Uh, was he answering their question? Uh, I, I kind of like the idea that he just started writing out some other sins that were quite obvious of the, of the men who were the accusers, uh, to where you're calling this lady out, but here's all this stuff that, that I know that you are doing, because uh, Jesus does know and is writing these things down. And as they continue to ask him, because they were, they were continuing to, to say, answer this question, he finally stood up and said this, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. He absolutely undercut these accusers. 
uh, these, these scribes, these Pharisees, uh, because now he has simultaneously affirmed her guilt. Yes, she is guilty. Yes, she broke the law, could be stoned to death. But he also was able to disarm her accusers by turning the tables on them and revealing to them their guilt and their sin. And this reversal is of epic proportion. That they thought they had him. There is no way Jesus is out of this. And he's like, look, here's the law. Yes, she broke it. But here are, what, here are things that you are guilty of. Uh, that, that you are going to have to pay a price for. Um, and so they came to embarrass Jesus to try to set him up. Yet who were the ones that ended up leaving embarrassed publicly? Uh, it was these scribes and Pharisees. And so verse 9 says, But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Do we get maybe a little bit wiser the older we get? Understanding more of our sin, understanding the, the life that we have that would be uh, sending us directly to hell in our sin, but knowing that much more the, grace, the graciousness the mercy of Christ in our life, that we know that we're guilty of things. And the older we get, I, I understand these older men going, no, I'm out. I know where Jesus is going. Uh, we are a little bit more sure of ourselves the younger we are. Uh, and you know, I can get away with some of this sin, and I'll, I'll ask for forgiveness later, and, and I can encounter Christ later. No, here are these older men that, that were like, feeling guilty first, drop the, the stones first, and then to the younger men. Uh, and so there's something to say about this, this faith that we have, uh, the lessons learned for us to understand this journey that, that we have in Christ, uh, that we need to be more and more like him, unless and less uh, like the world, unless uh, enjoying our sin, if we will. <clears throat> and so here's this picture of the men starting to leave. Um, and all who is left is Jesus and the woman. And there's judgment that happened. These men came to judge. They judged this woman. Uh, they looked down on her for who she was. And Jesus' masterful answer didn't minimize the woman's guilt uh, or de deny what ha needed to happen with the law. But it, it absolutely flipped the tables on the, scribe, the scribes and the Pharisees. And how many times have we read this story and we tend to look at the woman of the story as a great sinner while overlooking the fact that the scribes and Pharisees were just as sinful? Because ultimately, this, this story isn't about this woman in, in guilt and shame and these men accusing her. It's all about Jesus and what he provides. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis. Let me read this to you, and it's on the screen. Says, if anyone thinks that Christians regard unchastity or sexual sin as a supreme vice, he is quite wrong. The sins of the flesh are bad, but they are the least bad of all sins. All the worst pleasures are purely spiritual. The pleasure of putting other people in the wrong, of bossing and patronizing and spoiling sport and backbiting, the pleasures of power, of hatred. For there are two things inside of me, inside of us. They are the animal self and the diabolical self. The diabolical self is the worst of the two. That is why a cold, self-righteous prig, which is a word, by the way, you can look it up, 
that Prague is a self-righteously moralistic person who behaves as if superior to others. I know none of you know a Prague. Um, who, regularly, who goes regularly to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute, but of course it is better to be neither. Wow. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay? We, we are all in the same boat. Okay? Is a woman guilty of sin? Yes. Are these men guilty of sin? Yes. Are we guilty of sin? Yes. We have no right, nothing to stand on to judge anyone else in this world, uh, no matter where we are, um, and to, to have the audacity to look at someone and say, oh, I'm better than they are. You know, I go to church every Sunday. I go to Bible study. You know, I'm a faithful Christian. Great. That's where we need to be. But we are no better off in our sin than anyone else in this world. Um, we look at the, the whole situation in Ukraine. Okay, the Russians, the Ukrainians, they are all in the same boat. We are all in the same boat. And to have any right to judge anyone is wrong. Because that judgment doesn't come from us. It is only in the hands of God and in the hands of Jesus. Uh, and so these men try to, to, hey, look at this woman who's, who's terrible. No, you're terrible. Uh, you're all terrible. We're all terrible because of our sin. Um, and are there things that we need to, to call out to brothers and sisters in Christ uh, to, to help them? Absolutely. But when we come to the foot of the cross, the ground is level. We are all guilty. We are all sinners. And, and we need Jesus desperately. So here's this picture of judgment. Read, read with me Matthew chapter 7. Verses 1 through 5. And here's a reminder of where we are. And, and always a fun illustration as a kid, drawing pictures in Sunday school. Uh, but Matthew 7, 1 through 5, but there's, there's truth to this. It says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Judgment is rampant. It is rampant in this world, and we talk about this lost, sinful world. Unfortunately, it is rampant in the church um, with brothers and sisters in Christ, and it shouldn't be. This should be a safe place for all to come and to love and adore our Christ, our Messiah, and to love and adore and allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives for us to give all praise, honor, and glory to the Father. And we, we can get distracted with judgment. And we see that Here's this, this picture of Christ and this story that we have that we are all nothing. Uh, that is why all those men left. And then here's the woman and Jesus um, who are left, just the two of them. And we see in this picture that Jesus does confront the woman. He confronts the men, um, but handles them with such wisdom and with grace. So let's talk about grace for a moment. Verse 10 and 11 says, And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. 
Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, and this blows my mind. It should blow our mind. We need to understand what just happened. This woman deserved to die according to the law. Did she not? She, she broke the law. And Jesus says, I even don't condemn you. Of all people, he could have thrown a, a stone. He's without sin, but he didn't because of forgiveness. That's why he came. That's why he provided a way out for all of us in our sin. How does God forgive sinners without violating his holiness? It is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him as Messiah, his sacrificial death fully satisfied the demands of God's holiness and his law. In the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, he has given us full access, full forgiveness and grace and mercy that we don't deserve. Let me read you some passages. Uh, the first is Romans 8, and then Romans 3, and then 1 Peter. And you can read with me. Romans 8, verses 1 through 4 says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. We were giving, given forgiveness that we don't deserve because Christ paid the price for our sin. Romans 3.23, I gave you 3.23, this is continuing on to 25. For we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. We have free access to the Father because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and our forgiveness is paid. Paid in full, completely, without guilt and without penalty because he took that on for us. And then 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. I hope you get this. And if you don't get it, I pray uh, in this moment, in this time of invitation that we will go into in a little bit, sometime if you are confused and not clear about how much God loves you, how much Christ has done for you, and it is a free gift that you come and pray and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, that you understand we bring nothing. It is all Jesus, and it is a free gift. Uh, that then we, he becomes Lord of our life, and in him we have access to the Father, eternity in heaven, our sins forgiven, no matter how many more times we're going to mess up the rest of our time on earth, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves us so much, and I pray that you get it and that it transforms your life. And talk about forgiveness. Here's Jesus with the woman. There are just the two of them. He says... Who has 
who has been left to condemn you? And she says, no one. He says, I do not condemn you either. Go, from now on, sin no more. Forgiveness does not imply this license to sin. Okay, sometimes that's an easy cop-out. Ah, God's going to forgive me. I'm already forgiven. Um, no, it's a life transformed. We have no desire to sin because our eyes are focused on Jesus. Our, our, our life is headed in that direction uh, for him, for God to mold us and to make us to look more like Jesus. That is our love. That is our desire. That is our focus uh, in life. Romans 6, Paul was like, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? The more we sin, the more we're going to feel grace. No. How can, how can we who died to sin still live in it? It's not to say, hey, I, wanna, I want some more grace. You've been, by the way, we have been given the absolute full amount of grace that, that God will give. You don't earn a little bit more grace. We get all the grace. We get all the mercy. We get all the love immediately. We get all God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, full access. We don't aspire to master-level Christianity. It's, it's a relationship, okay? When I married Carrie, I got all of her. So much greater is this love for God that, that we get all of him when we come to him as Savior and Lord. And what a beautiful picture that is of forgiveness and grace and mercy. And we, if we have been truly transformed by this grace, we will work to leave behind these sinful habits. We will pursue grace in our life, pursue him with all of us. Let me end with this. Jesus in this story is the only one who could have thrown a stone. The only one who was without sin. And this woman was condemned, but yet he showed forgiveness to her. We've been caught in sin. We deserve death because of our sin. Jesus could throw stones at us, but he doesn't. Instead, he took our sin upon himself, paying the price of death on the cross. That is grace. That is amazing grace. And that is Jesus. Please pray with me. Father, as we have encountered this picture, this illustration of your amazing grace, of your love for us, that yes, we deserve death. We deserve to die in eternity in hell. But Father, you have loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to come, to live among us, to show us the way for, you, for him to pay the ultimate price for all of our sin. And forgiveness, Father, that we can be back in a right relationship with you. Father, help us to clearly understand that. Help us to continue to celebrate this and, and give you all the honor and glory. Father, I pray desperately for someone who is listening to these words, who does not understand, does not clearly know what it means to be saved, to be a Christian, to have Christ as Savior and Lord, Father, that you pierce their hearts with your truth, that the Holy Spirit overwhelms them, uh, that they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus as Lord and Savior. Father, thank you for your amazing grace on our life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.